Matthew 21 is where we're going to go. Week two of our series called The Last Week. We are navigating the last week of Jesus' earthly life before the, the, the resurrection, before the cross that we're going to be celebrating in just a handful of weeks. Uh, mark your calendars for, I believe it's April the 7th. April the 7th is going to be Good Friday evening from, I think, 7 till 8. Um, our Hispanic service is joining us for that, so we're going to do a combined service Friday evening, Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday morning, I believe, is the 9th. Is that right? And then, Pastor Marty, your birthday's the 10th. Is that correct? Amen. Just checking. <laughs> Just want to make sure to give props to the guy that always reminds us when his birthday is. Would you stand for the reading of the word this morning? Matthew 21, verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. I told my wife this week that uh, this is year number 26 of preaching, and I don't, I don't know what it is, but I have referred to this passage numbers of times, not once. I've looked at my archives. Not once have I ever preached a message out of the, what we know as the cleansing of the temple. Some, some of you, this is your favorite version of Jesus. We'll deal with you a little bit later. For others of you, there's a side of Jesus today that you never thought was possible. But my prayer is this, is that we would see Jesus not just in the right way today, but we would see him in a way that not just resurrects our lives, but challenges us to pour resurrection life into the lives of those around us. Jesus, one more time, we beseech your presence asking that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, the renewing of our hearts. Lord, I'm so thankful for the way that you're working in our church. I ask that you would just have such a divine visitation of your presence that not a single one of us would walk out of here the same way that we've walked in. For those watching online today, those that could not make it, I pray that, Lord, in their homes, maybe listening in their cars, wherever they're at today, that you would transform them, make them more like you. We speak this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Give someone an awkward high five before you're seated. Then apologize to the person that you didn't turn to first, but you were sitting right next to. Anybody in the house, you married your opposite? <laughs> I watch people like, oh, absolutely. Now, understand this. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. We are a Pentecostal church. That's the type of response I'm looking for during the preaching. I look for amens. I get two amens. I, you married your opposite. Everybody, revival broke out. I married my opposite in every way, shape, and form. And one of the differences between us is just even in our childhood, like she grew up Amish, I grew up in the city. Now, all right, it's not true. She grew up very simple, and, and, and what's funny is she still gets people approaching her. Were you really Amish? I thought you were Sicilian. She's like, yes. I, I, I grew up simple. Dave is exaggerated, which he tends to do, so she wasn't really Amish. But um, for fun, like, she's not only one of those kids, one of those kids, 
Look how snobby I sound. Who kept the room clean all the time. But for fun, she would reorganize her room and her closet. How demented is that? <laughs> Now, my parents would look at my room and they're like, you can't find anything. I'm like, ask me anything. Ask me where something's at. I promised I could find it, which drove them nuts because at any point, tell me where this shoe is at. Tell me where this is at. Tell me where your homework is at. I knew where, I had an organized mess. Organized clutter. I knew where everything is at, but when the pit became too much for my father, he would say, go clean your room. And if I came out within 20 minutes, within 20 minutes, he would walk in my room and do two things. First, he would open up my closet door and everything, it would be like vomiting stuff. And then he would walk up with one hand, grab the box spring, lift up the entire bed and lean it against the wall because whatever didn't go in the closet went underneath the bed. And then I'd be there for about two or three hours trying to straighten up everything and reorganize everything only for it to be the same way it was in 24 hours. What we see here in the book of Matthew In fact, you can find this story in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. You can find it in Mark, chapter 11, uh, Luke, chapter 19, John, chapter 2. You can find this story. This is the equivalent of Jesus walking into the temple, and he is lifting up the bed and opening up the closet. Why? Because you can walk in that, my room in a moment and think everything is clean, everything looks right, and what my dad would do is walk in and, and say, listen, you may think everything looks right in the moment, but let's look underneath the surface to actually see what's in this place. This is what Jesus did in the temple, is Jesus walked in and gave a revelation of what was actually happening underneath the surface of everything. Again, I love what your Bibles and my, and my Bible says. We get this little heading, Jesus cleanses the temple. I, I find it quite funny because Jesus didn't clean anything. In fact, Jesus made a mess. But the mess, sometimes Jesus has to reveal to us the mess in order for us to start cleaning up our lives. Because, I mean, just getting things all together on the outside is just not enough. Jesus didn't come to clean up the outside. Jesus didn't come just to have it be an accessory to your life and to bedazzle your life. Jesus came to set your life free and to clean you from the inside out. So sometimes for us to have our lives, our lives change and cleanse, we have to be confronted with what we're dealing with on the inside. Matthew chapter 21 is this beautiful, beautiful story coming off of the heels of last week. Last week, we talked about Sunday, seven days prior to what we know as Resurrection Sunday. We call it Easter Sunday. And on that day, we had the triumphal entry. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and people are waving palm branches, and they're celebrating what they want him to be, not recognizing that he was going to be more than they've ever expected. And so if you really look at the scripture, and specifically in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 11, Mark says this, and he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple, this is the same day on Sunday, and he looked around at everything as it was late, and he went out to Bethany with the 12. In other words, he shows up on that Sunday, shows up to Jerusalem, goes to the temple, and he looks around, and instead of being reactionary with his anger, He goes to Bethany, which is kind of a bit of a headquarters for him, two miles away, and he goes to sleep. How many of you know sometimes it's good to sleep on something you're very angry about? 
Some of you need to tap your spouse and say, that's a good word for our marriage right there. What? Jesus goes to bed. I imagine pondering what he saw happening in the temple that day. The vision that he saw in front of him and the way people were acting, conducting themselves, what they were doing and what they were preventing in the temple. He's in Bethany. And I imagine trying to sleep and in his humanity being pretty ticked off. Now, for those of you that don't like the word ticked, that's, I guess it's just a word I grew up with. I had one pastor pull me aside. He's like, you might as well have said the F word today. I'm like, we have really jumped right there. Jesus was perturbed, upset, angry, and he goes to bed and something is brewing in him. The, the, the psalmist would call it zeal. In fact, according to many commentators, the word in Psalm chapter 69, verse 9 says, For the zeal for your house has consumed me. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Some people think, well, it's the psalmist talking about the zeal, but many commentators believe this was talking about Jesus, the zeal for God's house, the temple, where the presence of God was at, was, a, was, was something he was very zealous about, very excited about. That, In fact, when we read the very first words of Jesus as a 11-year-old, 12-year-old, he's in the temple conferring, debating, talking with the rabbi, and so this was such an important place. You see, for us, we get the presence of God available to us all the time, 24-7. But for Israel, the temple was the place where the presence of God, of God resided. It stuck. It was there. And so when we talk about the temple, we do need to kind of get a distinction between what we mean by the temple. And so there are two areas that I'm going to draw your attention toward. We're going to call it the temple precinct and the temple proper. Can we put up the graphic for the temple precinct? I want to show you this. We drew this up. In fact, I made this in PowerPoint. I was so proud of myself. And then my admin said, we're not doing that to the congregation. She made you a better one here. So this is what we would call the temple precinct. We see the western wall. We see the eastern wall. We see that on the outsides of the main part of the temple, we see the court of the Gentiles. What does this mean? See, when it comes to the areas of worship for people, you have the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the Jewish men, and then the areas for the priests to go. So when we come to the areas of the temple, people were allocated towards certain areas according to their qualifications. So for the court of the Gentiles, this was anybody who believed in God but were not of Jewish descent. If you were not of Israel's blood, you were not allowed to go into the court of women, the Jewish court, or even further than that. You were only allowed. So the beauty of it, of it was this, is that when you went to the temple precinct, that it didn't matter if you were Jewish or if you were a Gentile. Gentile was anybody that wasn't Jewish. And if you went there, you had a place of worship. It was a place where anybody, any skin color, any background, any nationality, any, any economic situation, you can go and worship God. The next level was the court of women. This was for those of Jewish descent but were female. And then we had what was called the court of Israel or the court for Jewish men. And this was just for the men of Jewish descent. So when we talk about the temple precinct, here's the levels of what that is. But when we talk about the, the temple proper, the temple proper looks like this. It's that middle portion. That is two rooms that are separated. We have a line up there, but that line was what was called the veil. The holy place was a place where only priests could go. 
You see, you could walk in as a Jewish man, you could walk through the Gentile courts, walk through the women's court, go into the Jewish court or Israel's court, but you had to stop there because the only way to get into temple proper was to be a priest of God. So even regulations about where even the men could go. But for the Holy of Holies, that was accessible by one person, one time of year, to go beyond the veil and to do business with God. Behind that veil was the presence of God. Behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was the, we'll call it the visual representation of the presence of God. It was sitting there behind the veil. This is so significant. How significant is it? Because when you get to the cross and Jesus cries out, it is finished. What do we read? We read that the veil was torn in two. And what happened on that day is because prior to, to the cross, People had to come in and worship in their designated areas. But on that day, the, the veil was rent. The presence of God went out into the world. And now the, now the presence of God is accessible by you and me. So when we talk about the veil or we think about the veil being rent in two, it helps us to understand that there was a day where you and I might have been in the Gentile courts. We would have worshiped from afar. But because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, you and I have access that one person used to only have access to. And we get it every single day. That's an amazing thing to celebrate, this access. See, every step forward, every step forward, put up the precinct again if you would. Every step forward was followed by prohibition. Stop, are you qualified to go any further? Stop, are you of Jewish descent? Stop, are you the right gender? Stop, are you the right status? There was no such thing in this day to all access. So it was on that day, on that, on that Sunday night that Jesus would have walked into through the Huldah gates and saw everything taking place. He would have walked in and would have seen a sight that would have crushed his heart and caused his heart to brew with a holy anger. Would you put up that third graphic, Sam? You see, what we've got here is shaded. It seems like we're highlighting the Gentile areas, but the reality is we are shading the areas that the, that the Scripture calls the money changers set up all of their business. Now, here's the context. This is one of the most important weeks of Israel's calendar, why they are celebrating Passover. That means that every Jew, no matter where they are living around the nation or in the known world, would travel to Israel to come to worship and to be a part of Passover. They would come and they would purchase an animal. They would come and they would honor the Lord by making sacrifice. This was perhaps the most important holiday to a Jewish family. But it wasn't more than just Jews that would make the, make the pilgrimage. It was Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles, people from different skin colors and backgrounds who have come to put their trust in Jehovah. They would show up and they would worship here. But the problem is, is in their most important feast, is Jesus walks in and instead of seeing a place where the nations could gather to celebrate God, he sees the place that is filled with a bazaar of people. You see, you have to get the context for what's taking place in the court of the Gentiles. You see, when you showed up in your pilgrimage, you had to show up, and first of all, you had to change your money. Have you ever gone to another country and you would exchange your money? 
I've done that numbers of times. I've taken numbers of trips around the world. And when we get there, the guide who is with us will take us to a person so you can trust this person. What do we mean? This is the person that will give you a good exchange. So what was happening here, though, is they're saying you've got to come. You've got to pay temple taxes and you've got to purchase your animals for sacrifice. But guess what? You can't use your money. This is Chuck E. Cheese. You've got to purchase our tokens. You've got to purchase our tokens. And we're going to gouge you in the name of God by getting more money from you than's necessary. And then you've got to pay taxes to the temple. Oh, and on top of that, I know you brought an animal to the sacrifice that seems like a spotless lamb, that seems like a spotless pigeon, it seems like this. But guess what? You can't use your animals. You have to only use the temple-appropriated animals. And so they were gouging them with the exchange, gouging them with the taxes, and then gouging them one more time with the animals. And all of this was done in the area of the court of the Gentiles. This is what Mark chapter 11, verse 15 says. It says, They came to Jerusalem, and they entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables and money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Understand that throughout the Gospels of Jesus Christ, we have so many moments where Jesus slips in and he slips out. Here's a terrible moment. Jesus slips in, heals. While people are celebrating, he just slips out unnoticed. We read that quite often in Scripture. Let's just say this is not one of those moments. Jesus walks in swinging a leather cord around his head. He is knocking things out of people's hands. He is kicking over tables. We have coins going everywhere. Fur is flying from animals running rampant. Dung is being tracked everywhere. We've got feathers flying everywhere, all because Jesus has gone through this place. He wasn't having a bad day. He was taking a stand for what had happened against the temple. He was turning over the bed, opening up the closet, and revealing what has truly happened to the house of God. And so there's two elements that have taken place that are so key for us to notice. First of all, it's, uh, he points out that there was somebody selling pigeons. I don't think the Bible ever puts anything in on accident. The biblical writers, I believe, were inspired by the Spirit of God, and they were given the details that are so important. So if you're a note taker, I don't know if you've ever noticed the word pigeons. That's an important detail because pigeons, or some of your translations will say doves, were primarily used as offerings purchased by the poor. You see, if you had money, you can go in and purchase the animals that you wanted. But in the temple, the sellers would set whatever price they wanted to. And in other words, you could pay, you had to pay whatever was necessary. So if you came in and you had a lot of means, you walk in and you've got a lot of means, you can argue and you can haggle, but when you don't have a lot of money, you don't have any say whatsoever. And so what we see in this moment is that pigeons are brought up because it was the voices of the poor who are marginalized and ignored. 
The pigeons were there, set apart by God in the book of Leviticus to say, listen, just because you have little money doesn't mean you can't sacrifice. God made a way for anybody of any economic level to be able to sacrifice. Why? Because that was necessary during Passover. But all of a sudden, the Jewish, the, the temple leaders, the temple police, those that were in authority, all of a sudden, they begin to say, you know what? This is more than opportunities for sacrifice. This is opportunities to make money off of them. And perhaps nothing testifies to the depravity of the human heart like exploiting, cheating, and oppressing the poor. And what's more astonishing is this was happening in a religious environment. There's nothing like price gouging in the name of God. We have lots of wheeling and dealing going in the name of God. I look at the hearts of individuals. How do you not walk away from trying to make a sacrifice to Jehovah God? And how do you walk away and not be bitter in your heart thinking, we came here, thought we had enough to live on. We thought we had enough to sacrifice on, enough to get ourselves back. But the church took so much from us that we walk away more empty than the way that we showed up. I want to make a statement today. That when we recognize offenses by the church, our first response shouldn't be to cover up the issue, but to bandage up the casualties. We should, move toward, we should move toward healing lives before we try to preserve our reputation. In the church world, it breaks my heart as a pastor when I see, when I hear about church. Church has taken advantage of members in more ways than one. And in the name of the Lord, price gouging people, taking advantage of people, hurting people, destroying people, taking advantage of lives. And instead of attending to people that are broken, we've done our best in the church to try to cover up and to preserve our reputation. And what we're doing is we're not protecting Jesus, we're trying to protect ourselves. And it is time for the church of Jesus Christ to recognize, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with calling out offenses, but what we have to do is instead of covering up our issues, we need to actually help cover up and to heal those people who have been broken and hurt. And I'm, I'm here to say, if we want to fix our reputation in the church, then let's start with healing individuals who have hurt and bruised and battered and fractured by the church themselves. We also have to recognize, and I've, I know I've irritated a few people with a statement like this, we also have to recognize that the church itself is not necessarily the thing that has, the entity that has hurt people, it's been people who have hurt people. And they've done it in the name of the church. Here in the temple, it wasn't Jehovah God that was taking advantage of people, it was human beings. Let's call it for what it is. But we can't cover up these moments. We can't gloss over these moments of Jesus being hacked off and swinging a whip and overturning money changers because we have to recognize that what is in these people is in all of us. The idea, I would never take advantage of somebody. That's, I would never do that. I'm here to say what led them to do this is the same sin nature that lies in all of us if it would not be for the grace of Jesus working in our lives every single day. Lots of wheeling and dealing in the name of God. So this first element that I want to point out is the fact that they were taking advantage of the poor. And the second element is that statement, den of robbers. And this, this brings up a little bit of background we have to cover. The den of robbers is a, the word robbers is actually a Greek word. It means lesties or it means thieves. And it's not a word for a common thief. Get this. Den of robbers has nothing to do with a common thief. But it's a, it's a word that means insurrectionists. 
like Barabbas was an insurrectionist. The two revolutionaries that were crucified on either side of Jesus were known as insurrectionists. And so in other words, temple authorities were making this a place where insurrectionists against God's intended plan, they had room in the temple. Jesus says, you have turned this place into a house of insurrectionists against the move of God. But he says, my house should be called a house of prayer, but we stop right there. But if we stop right there, we sell the story short. He says this, my house should become a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. That is not a small significance that Jesus would say all nations. And, all, and Sam, could you put up the temple proper back up there? Our temple uh, precinct, my bad, my bad. He did it, where were they selling? In the court of the Gentiles. Where did people from other ethnicities come from? Or where do they worship? In the court of the Gentiles. In other words, we're going to make sure we don't sell this in the places where the Jews are going to worship. We can take out everybody else. Why? Because they're Gentiles. What do they matter? They're not the blood of Abraham. They're expendable. They're second class. They're lucky to be in the same place as us. If you think racism is a modern day issue, then you've never studied history. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. You're driven out the all nations and you're reserving Jesus for yourself. Jesus is not a white thing. It's not a black thing. It's not a brown thing. He is here for all nations that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the gospel. I've said this so many times. Racism is nothing more than a diabolical attack against the image of God. They may not look like you, be shaped like you, have the same skin colors as you, background as you, economic um, affluence as you. But understand this, that every human being we lock eyes with in the streets or in the church, they are all made in the image of God. Well, they don't act like God. That's true. Most of the time, we don't either. We are made in the image of God, and racism in any form is a diabolical attack against the image of God. Secondly, racism is the antithesis of Jesus. His gospel brings all ethnicities together into the same family. This is a house of miracles for all nations. All nations. And what did Israel forget? Genesis chapter 22, they forgot about their father Abraham, that when God spoke to Abraham and gave him the promise, he says in Genesis 22, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Look at that. In your offspring shall all nations, all nations, all nations be blessed. Everybody's invited. Have you ever had an invitation to a wedding? Invitation to a, fu- a funeral. I don't know why you get an invite to a funeral. I don't know where that one came from. <laughs> invites to a birthday party. It was right when, when COVID hit, I had to do all my premarital counseling via like face, FaceTime, Zoom. And at one time we were doing Google Meet and there's this one couple and I, need, I needed to do the last premarital counseling appointment. It's the best premarital counseling appointment. You know why? I get to talk about sex. Love talking about sex because it makes people feel so so awkward to have the pastor talk with them about sexuality. It's the best. And so they contacted me because the link wasn't working that we sent them. And so I quickly, I don't know what I did, but I I made a Google Meet 
link. And when I tried to forward it to them, I accidentally forwarded it to everybody in my contact list. So when you're having a conversation that's already awkward for them, honestly, ain't awkward for me, my favorite subject outside of football to talk about. While we're talking, all of a sudden, pastor friends of mine, heads are popping in all of a sudden. Hey, Pastor Dave. And I'm just literally blinking, locking them out. They're clicking back on. They're trying to click. And I'm like, I have no, I'm, like, I'm sorry, guys. We'll, get to, we'll, we'll talk about this in a second. I'm literally closing out windows. People are calling, texting me. I can't get in. Now, what I was encouraged is, is the fact that when I send out an invite, people respond. I'm like, man, I feel like the most popular kid. I was a kid nobody talked to. And I feel like I'm, I'm sitting at the popular kid's table right now. But you know what? When you send out a link that just says sex talk, it's amazing the amount of people that will click on that. The amount of messages and texts and calls I had to make after that to, to help them to figure out why they were invited. But you, you know what it breaks down? You know why they were invited? Why they showed up? Is they were invited. People will show up if they're invited. It's amazing. It's amazing what would happen if the church of Jesus Christ, we got loud about Jesus outside the church, just as loud as we sing, we would get loud out there and begin to look for individuals that need to know who he is and would simply give in invites. How are people going to show up on Easter? It's not because we're promoting a Facebook marketplace, Facebook marketplace, on Facebook. We're selling the church? What are we doing here? We're not doing Facebook ads. We're not going to do Instagram ads. We're not going to do things like that because honestly... Ads become white noise. You know what causes people to show up? What causes people to come encounter Jesus here at a service? It's because they've got an invite. Israel forgot that God had an invitation given back in the days of Father Abraham that said, through you, all nations get invited. And for some mindset, we think that only certain people should be invited to the church. This will be. If we're going to have a house of miracles, we need people in need of miracles. And the people that need miracles are the people that are messy. And the people that are messy are going to need the miracles, so why not invite them to the place for which they can receive those miracles? This is a house where those things can happen. And they will not show up unless they are invited. Y'all need to learn to amen like she does. What a mess, isn't it? Just such Matthew 21 is such a messy situation, isn't it? To walk in. And instead of seeing in the days of old, there'd be a fragrance that would be permeating the air from incense being burned. It was the fragrance of dung and the sound of money changers literally stealing things from people that came to worship and to give honor to God. And when we see injustice, the question that I get a lot is, does God see this? And the answer is yes. Does he care when his name is being exploited and his words twisted to manipulate people and rob them? Does he care? The answer is yes. Does he care when worship of him has been thoroughly opted and commercialized? The answer is yes. Will he act? Oh, absolutely. There's a reason why God gives warning. There's a reason why God gives us conviction. And the remedy that God has for these moments is found in one word, and the word is repentance. We must repent. We must let our hearts be turned from ourselves and turned from our ways and the things that want to benefit us and to turn toward God. God does wait. 
And when God has had enough, I promise you, God acts. Here, the sinless son of God acted in anger in this scene. Emily, I need you to help me shut up here. Come play. He swings a whip. He starts flipping tables, not because he is mildly annoyed. He's hurt. But I want to say this, that if, your table, if, you, if the table flipping Jesus is your favorite version of Jesus, you need a wider scope of mercy and love. But if your view of Jesus doesn't include the table flipping Jesus, you have sold mercy and love short of what it really needs to be. I get people contact me frequently. Every morning, I put like a sermon point on Facebook, something to encourage, maybe challenge a heart. And, and I, I will get frequently, people will contact me. Why don't I take a two by four to the church? Why don't I attack people more? Jesus flipped tables, Pastor Dave. And I'm like, if that's your favorite version of Jesus, you need to read more than the one story out of scripture. Jesus had anger, but had what I would call divine anger. What do we mean by that? Number one is God's anger is not reactionary. It is intentional and it is calculated. He doesn't react the way you and I react. It is intentional and it is calculated. And number two, God's anger cannot ever be extracted from his love. The one who turned the place upside down for making an expo out of a place of worship. This is what's so cool. The one who drove away the people selling sacrifices would a few days later offer himself as a perfect sacrifice. The one who sent lambs scurrying would be the final sacrificial lamb. First Peter 1, verse 18 through 19, knowing that you are ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He came and made a way. He cleansed the temple, overturned the bed, opened up the closet, revealed the mess. Not to make a mess, but to give the revelation, this cannot be our business as usual. You've destroyed enough lives. You've robbed enough lives. This is not what this was meant to be. And this is what's wild, because we end our story of Jesus overturning the temple with hacked off Jesus, and we leave him hacked off. But if you keep reading in Matthew 21, it says, And Jesus entered the temple, drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, overturned the tables, the money changers, the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. Then the next sentence, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out to the city, to Bethany, and lodged there. The same place of devastating lives, Jesus flipped it and began to heal hearts. The same place of the mess, turned over a table, chased out the money changers, and in that same place, in the middle of the mess, it became a house of miracles. It begins to heal the lame. It begins to heal the blind. The ones that were mostly prohibited from worshiping were the ones that he healed. They got healed. 
Such an amazing thought. The place of chaos became ripe with miracles. Have you ever started Googling something and the autofill started filling out for you? I started typing the words, how to get healed from. And can I tell you, can I show you my Google? No, I want, no, this was how to get free of one. How to get free from sin was the number one thing. Isn't that cool? But then I got distracted by number 10. How to get free from a vending machine. I, I don't know. What is wrong with our world? We need Jesus. But look at the top one. How to get free from how to get free from handcuffs? How to get free from sheen? <laughs> how to get free from dreads? I mean, this is how to get free. I mean, how to get free from sin? Go to the next one, Sam, if you would. How to get healed from vampirism in Skyrim? The number one most searched thing is how to get freed from being a vampire in a in a in a game. How to get healed from COVID, how to get healed from heartbreak, from depression, COVID, a cold, the flu, uh, COVID fast, food poisoning, fever. Go back to the, the, the other one if you would, Sam. But if you look at all of these, the things that people are searching for, the things that people are needing, it shows the, the devastation of what sin has done to this world. And what I love is in the place of devastation, Jesus doesn't walk away leaving everybody devastated. He turns it over and he says, now let me show you what this place was meant for. It's a place for miracles. The place of hurt became the place of healing. I thought it was such an amazing thing when Emily contacted me this week and let, let me know the songs that we were singing. And I, I, I was going in a different direction than I intended this message to go and my prayer is this, that, Lord, that you would help to confront your church in our mess and that you would take the place that has caused some hurt and you make it into a place of healing. Can people get hurt in the church? Absolutely. I do believe some people have been hurt in the church by simply the expectations weren't met. Those moments happen. And I don't think that's, there's a difference between being let down and the difference between hurt. But let's not cover up the fact that some people have been hurt. And I was going to end this service with so many different directions, but I just feel like the Spirit of God wanted to kind of lead me into a direction that I had to walk myself for years. I've shared so many times that I've been devastated by church leadership, hurt so much that I spent, my wife will tell you, I've spent almost 20 years waking up from nightmares, from just the trauma that I've been through. I love the fact that I haven't had one of those dreams, one of those nightmares. I think it's been a couple of months, and I say that to the glory of Jesus Christ. But I'm also here to say that trauma is real, but you know what's even more real? is the healing touch of the one that stood in the midst of that chaos and said, come if you need me. You're blind, come on. There's room. You're lame. Let your friends bring you. It's a house of miracles.